Welcome to Let the Boys Kiss, the creation of queer ships, where we ask the question, is it queer baiting, queer coding, or queer canon? This week, we'll be discussing the Leverage OT3, Parker, Hardison, and Elliot. I'm Maddie. And I'm Kelsey. Yes. I think uh, this is by far the least known slash popular piece of media we have discussed so far. Which is an absolute shame. It is it a shame. Is a delight. This show needs to be 80 times more popular than it is. I don't know why that number in particular, but it just feels like it's warranted. So do you think it's worthwhile starting off by talking about just the premise of Leverage and then we can get into who our characters are within that premise. Yes. I think this is the one where people are most likely to have not seen or possibly even heard of the show. <laughs> so it is worth discussing. So Leverage is a procedural about a group of criminals that do heists for good, basically. Yes. <laughs> they all use their skills to basically help the downtrodden. It's anti-capitalist. It's lovely. They're constantly taking down these awful CEOs and stuff. And it's also got a poly ship, which we haven't talked about. Uh, And it's actually the most popular ship of the show in terms of fan production. And so our three characters in our ship are part of this heist team. And in any good heist team, right, everyone has a role. So there are five people sort of in the crew overall. But the three in question, Parker is the thief. Hardison mm-hmm. is the hacker and Elliot is the enforcer. And oh. <laughs> that's our OT3. <laughs> Parker is a lady. Yes. And this is going to be important for our discussion later. Hardison is Aldous Hodge. He's a black man. And then Elliot is uh, Christian Kane and he is a white guy. A white man. A white man. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're, we're just talking about the the television show because I don't think there is any other material to be considered. This is a fun one because I hadn't seen this show when it was on because it was like the early 10s. Yeah, the early 10. I heard that they were adding a new season of it. I just like heard talk of that online, which they've been working on and will be out soon. Replacing Timothy Hutton from the original cast with Noah Wiley that we don't know, obviously, how he'll be worked in. Mm-hmm. And I just saw people talking about how fun it was and that people should watch it. And I figured might as well get on board. I think I did this last summer, maybe. I don't remember when the announcement was made. And then I just told you that I was watching it and it was fun. And you started watching it too. And it was fun. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I love a heist. Just sort yeah. of across the board, across media. So the idea of a procedural which is also a format i generally enjoy right but at this time you're not solving crimes you're taking down assholes which is nice it's really well written every heist is super well crafted they do the thing where you know you have your setup and then what actually happens and it's satisfying every time which is extraordinary to be able to write five seasons of a show with 20 heists per season and they're all fun and different and you know work out in different ways. And it's also one of these, I think, procedurals that as they went along, started doing sort of different and fun episodes. So there's like a Rashomon episode where they're all telling 
yep. different perspectives on a heist they all were part of before they all knew each other, which is a really fun episode. Yes, that's a delightful one. They start doing episodes where like, it's not the whole team and they're doing like parallel heists. So one episode will be one part of the team and they kind of will be calling their other party members. And then the next episode is what's happening to the other party members. Yes, they got creative with the writing as the show went on. There's an episode that's a parody of The Office. Oh, yeah, that one's fun, too. (laughs) (laughs) So just it's like fun. It's super well written. John Rogers, our showrunner, deserves lots of credit for how delightful the show is. He also is the creator of The Librarians, which is his Noah Wiley connection. And I think a couple other things that I didn't know anything about. So I guess, yeah, let's just talk briefly about like why they are shipped and how cute their relationship is. And just like give people a taste of why they should immediately go watch the show. (laughs) Right. So what I put in the outline under the question that we always have in our outline of why do people ship them is they're the best. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. What more do you need to know? So we've kind of got this, this, the reason this show in my mind should be more popular in like fandom circles is how great it is for all of the things that fandom normally does. Like these characters are all set up for fan fiction because they have all of these different things going on emotionally that you just really want to dive into because how they ended up as criminals when clearly they are good people, you know, that's Mm -hmm. the story. Parker has this really weird childhood they start to dig into where this guy who is also a criminal has kind of raised her weirdly. It's like her personal connections are... Right. Well, she had like a read. terrible home life when she was very young and then sort of ran away and then got this right. mentor figure. Yes. Who r- raised her into a life of crime. Into a life of thiefdom. <laughs> yeah. And then Partisan also was a foster kid who was adopted, but his adopted grandmother yeah. is, was great. So he had like a very different childhood experience from her. And I think he got into hacking to help his grandmother originally. <laughs> so... That's a sweet story. And then Elliot is the real interesting case psychologically because he, as we said, he's the enforcer, but basically what that means is he's the hired muscle of Mm -hmm. the team. So if ever there's danger and people to fight, that is what Elliot does. And he obviously has been in some rough situations in his past. Yeah, he has this whole backstory. I think he, he joined the army and then he got into like weird horrible secret missions and doing bad things for bad people yeah well that's like the pipeline right is the people are in the military and they teach them just like how to kill and hurt people as their skill and then when you're not in the military anymore that's the skill you have so then he starts working for these like bad criminal types eventually and feels super bad about it so there's a lot of trauma to dig into there because there are these later episodes when they're meeting his like former boss and clearly he's very traumatized by it it's an interesting dynamic with the team because parker and hardison are not necessarily ashamed of their criminal history like you know parker thinks fondly of all the jewels she's stolen and yeah well i mean she's highly skilled it's like pretty impressive maybe not legal but like the The places she's gone, the things she's stolen, it's incredible, good people. And how, you know, you can't feel that bad about it. She steals, like, jewels and pieces of art and stuff. Right. She's not hurting anyone. It's like a classy criminal. (laughs) 
<laughs> Hardison, similarly, he bragged, you know, he cracked into the Pentagon when he was 12 and his is hacking. Similarly, it doesn't have the direct harm. Whereas throughout the show, Elliot is still kind of, I would say, even more restrained about talking about his past because he's more ashamed of it. And he worries yes. that even his other criminal friends will reject him if they find out the things he's done. Yeah. Kind of a lot more with him all the time. Right. Well, there's a scene once we've been introduced to this guy that he used to work for who's clearly very, very bad. And he talks about how the worst things he's ever done he did for this guy. And then Parker asks him what he did. And he says, don't ask me what I did because I'll tell you. He doesn't want them to know because he's still so ashamed. Poor Elliot. I will say the other thing I really like and is a thing I I tend to really like in procedurals. So obviously a lot of the time procedural formats don't lend themselves to like any character development. Yeah. But I think a good procedural does some of that work. It's never going to be as much probably as a real serialized show. And that's, again, maybe the space for fan fiction. But this show does do a nice job of giving them hobbies and other interests and personality <laughs> traits, which are yes. very fun. I feel like I know what you're thinking of. So Elliot, for instance, loves to cook and is a great chef. Yes. He and could I have like a Michelin starred restaurant if he just would quit being a, you know, heist enforcer. Right. So I think that first comes out in an episode where I forget what they're heisting, but they essentially plan a person's wedding. <laughs> and yes, there's some sort of criminal overlord guy whose like daughter is getting married or something and they need to get into his house I think and so they're posing as caterers and wedding planners and stuff and they give Elliot the caterer role and he gets really into it <laughs> <laughs> like it's distracting from what they're actually there to do because he yeah. cares a lot about the, the menu for this wedding so the other thing that's kind of fun about this show is every almost every season they move to a new town maybe in like the latter uh seasons they do that more you know they get burned where they're staying so they have to go find a new place right the last season they're in portland Mm -hmm. and Hardison sets up all their new digs, and their front <laughs> is a brew pub. A brew pub. <laughs> and he tells Elliot that, and Elliot's just, just enraged because the brew pub is the hardest menu to design. <laughs> Pairing, the beer and food pairings are incredibly difficult, and he's really mad because he knows Hardison's going to mess it up when... Clearly watching the show and knowing this dynamic, Hardison has bought this brew pub for Elliot. <laughs> like right. Elliot is going to be the one who runs the brew pub. But he just is like, I can't believe you would do this. Like you're not qualified <laughs> to run a brew pub. Yeah. The show is so smart because the, what plays just as a joke when you find out about it in the early wedding episode that he loves to cook and no one would expect that about him ends up being character development later on. Because the right. more you dive into this, you start to learn there was a particular guy that taught him everything he knows and he had gotten so far into his like hitman self basically that he had had lost touch with his emotions and like learning to cook from this guy is what helped him learn how to feel again and then he ends up having to help Parker with the same thing. Yeah and so that's a, a great element in the character building and the relationship building is not only does Hardison buy him this brew pub to give him something to do. <laughs> and to keep him around, you know? They're yeah. always worried that they're going to leave. But he connects with Parker through it as well because Parker starts to realize that the only thing she feels excited about is 
stealing jewels. And she she starts to want to have emotional reactions to more. So Elliot teaches her how to love food. And it's a really sweet episode. And it's she like touching. gets it. Oh, it's so touching. But it's just, it's such smart character development because you have to be smart about how you do that in a procedural since you can't devote that much space to it. So I think we've talked a lot around it, but we do have some instances of specific evidence for this OT3. Probably the most overt component of it is at least within the five seasons that we have, Parker and Hardison are a canon couple for like a season for a and while. a half. Yeah, there's yeah. there's a long, slow burn to that relationship where clearly they're interested in each other pretty early on, but Parker is super reserved, kind of damaged, doesn't know how to be in a relationship. So there's this slow wooing process <laughs> of her learning to care about people and Hardison, like, you know, proving how much he cares about her. And there, Elliot's actually kind of a part of it because he helps with the process of the two of them getting together but then yeah they are explicitly in a relationship for probably the last season and a half of the show but then around that time especially into the fifth seat five right there are five yes fifth season we start to get some more like ot3 nuggets because they very much are the dynamic we have talked about the three of them we haven't talked about the other two characters so there are these nate and sophie Mm-hmm. are the other two of the five that are in this heist group and they're very much like the parents of yeah the they're a little bit older than the rest of the group and they end up in a couple together as well yes and like, the two of them have history going way back and so there's the will they won't they of that relationship the whole time but then the pairings of the show are those two are usually together doing something and then the the three kids are all together doing their own thing. And so that even once Hardison and Parker get together, that dynamic does not become less evident. It becomes even more the three of them are together all the time, even though Mm -hmm. Parker and Hardison are in this romantic relationship. So then we start to get in the fifth season, a lot of what are the most shippy moments, I guess, of their relationship. So there's this episode. I can't remember when it is when Hardison gets buried alive. I think that might actually be in the fourth season. Yeah. So Uh, it's like the beginning of their moments. So there's an episode where Hardison gets kidnapped and buried in a shallow grave. In a shallow grave. And they don't know where he is. So it's one of those ticking clock episodes where they're trying to find him. And I think they're able to communicate with him. He has a cell phone. Yeah. Parker and Hardison are maybe newly together, something like that. So that's sort of the undercurrent. Parker is really worried about him, as you would expect. But what you might not expect (laughs) is how invested Elliot is in the situation. So there's this great moment when obviously... Spoiler alert, they do get him out. We mentioned already he was in the fifth season, so he's not a ghost. But he stays in the grave for the rest of the fifth season. (laughs) Anyway, when when they pull him out of the grave, the first person there to pull him out of the grave is Elliot. And they have kind of an Oscar Isaac-esque hug. (laughs) Yeah, again, probably because I was primed from our Star Wars discussion by the time I watched this episode. He does the Oscar Isaac neck grip. Yep. So yeah, he's Elliot is clutching Hardison. Hardison is clutching Elliot. Elliot is saying like, "Never do that again, man. Never do that again." And Hardison's like, "I won't. I won't." They're in tears. But that's not the only time they share a really nice hug. 
There is mm -hmm. an episode where they are looking for someone who died on a, a mountain as part of I a climbing that. expedition. And I forget exactly when in the episode, but Hardison basically puts his arms out for Parker to hug him and she just well, walks yeah, Parker. By. Parker and Elliot are going to go up the mountain together. Like everybody right. else is going to stay in the base camp and the two of them are going to go up. And yeah, as she's about to leave, Hardison puts out his arms wide, like, have a hug, baby. <laughs> and she just walks right by him. But Elliot takes that hug. <laughs> he just matter-of-factly gives him a hug and like a bit thrown. Because yeah. cause in early seasons, Elliot would not be the type to be prone to physical affection. No. But it's so sweet. It's really lovely. <laughs> so there, there's probably other evidence and instances, but I I think we'd agree the strongest evidence, like the most intense OT3 scenes come in the finale episode. Yeah. Um, well, that is the, that's not the one where they're in DC with the... Oh, you're right. Because that episode also has lots of chippy moments. I think that's like three episodes before the end. The finale. Yeah. So yeah, there's an episode when... It's actually kind of weird, I imagine, to watch during a pandemic. That it is, was. yeah. Tell me your experiences with that. But the the ba basic premise of the episode is, for some reason, the three of them are in DC. Yeah, they were doing another heist in DC by themselves, and then this happened. So they're there already, incidentally. Someone has basically taken a um, super virus. It's the 1918 flu. <laughs> Yes. And he is going to release it and start like a global pandemic. Heaven forbid. We don't know what that would be like. And the three of them, I think Elliot thinks he's going to have to handle it himself because he knows some guy in the government that asks for his help. But then the other two, of course, are like, obviously we're staying. Right. We wouldn't leave you. But that's the episode where Parker says to Elliot, we agreed that we would all change together. <laughs> There's a lot of them being this unit. They have this awesome scene where there's a booby trap when they're trying to get into this guy's yes. house. And so they all are at the door and the three of them have to form this like, Hardison is standing there. Elliot is clutching him to make sure he doesn't fall over. And Parker crawls because she's got all these gymnastic skills. <laughs> she crawls and is climbing up Hardison to get a hold of the thing that they need to, to defuse or whatever. It's very bonding. And there's a sweet scene where Hardison's freaking out and Elliot is like, are you worried? And he's like, yeah. And Elliot says, I'm not. You know why? You're the smartest guy I've ever met. And he like gives him this pep talk, which is really sweet about how he knows he's going to solve it. it out. Yeah. So this is towards the end of season five. They're solidifying themselves as a unit. But then tell me about the finale. So Nate and Sophie, the, the parents have, their relationship has also sort of come to uh, a head and he proposes to Sophie at the end of the episode. So where the series seemingly ends off is they're going to go off together and the, the three kids are going to continue on the work of leverage. And was it Sophie that asked Elliot? Yeah, I think Sophie is saying to Elliot to keep an eye on those two because he's the, the protector. Yeah. And he says that he will be with them till his dying day, which is nice. Very sort of marriage vow-esque. <laughs> And then Nate is saying to him, I think it's in the same episode, mm -hmm. to Elliot, you never, never need anything. And he says, yeah, I did. And he looks over at Parker and Hardison and says, and thanks to you, I don't have to search anymore. Oh. And then I guess the other element for the three of them in that episode is kind of, I don't know what to call it. It's not a dream sequence. It's uh, 
basically just a, a lie <laughs> someone is telling kind of but there's a you think that the three of them are oh that they died oh yeah, that yeah they yeah. died and so they're telling this story you know there's all sorts of narrative weirdness to this but you think that they're dying right and, so uh, it looks like at the beginning of the episode that the heist that they're doing has gone very wrong parker and hardison are in an elevator shaft and parker isn't able to hold on to hardison so he drops to the ground and he's super injured clearly like he has internal bleeding because he's like landed dozens like of many feet. floors down yeah yeah Parker has gotten shot and as they're leaving elliot gets shot in the back as well so they're all in the back of this van together bleeding out and it's hardison elliot parker like sort of in a row and hardison asks did did elliot make it because he's so injured he can't see yeah and elliot's like yeah i made it age of the geek baby because that's our catchphrase (laughs) and then they hold hands and then elliot puts his hand out for parker to hold his hand as well and then they seemingly die. So what a way to start a finale. But I think it's really interesting too in that scene, right? That it's not Parker in the middle holding both of her yes, male friends. They don't lean hand. into that weird, we can both be into Parker, right. but not into each other thing. The three of them are the three of them, you know? Right. It's Hardison holding hands with Elliot, holding hands with Parker. Yeah, which is interesting because Elliot is the one in the middle who is supposedly not part of the canon couple. Yeah. Ugh, that was rough. I was watching that episode and I was like, oh no, the babies. Oh no. Why would they kill the babies? So yeah, I mean, there's more, there's moments and moments and moments. I was saying to you when we were first talking about this, part of the fun of an OT3 is not just how fun they are, all three of them together, but the individual dynamics that each of them have. Obviously, there are lots of Parker Hardison moments, but there are great Hardison Elliot moments. There are great Parker Elliot moments. And there's this strong foundation and interesting dynamic to each side of the triangle that makes them just really fun and sweet and good for each other. I can't wait to watch the new season. So I guess we haven't talked about that too much. We've mentioned it a couple times, but this is one of these examples of... The show was over, and then despite the fact that it's not the biggest show in the world, there was enough fan interest, I guess, for them to bring it back for a sixth season. So that's Mm -hmm. going to happen, which is really cool. And we've talked about this. I think the only unfortunate thing is Aldous Hodge, who plays Hardison, has gotten another job, so he's not going to be in all the episodes, (laughs) which is only unfortunate for us as Leverage fans, and great for Very fortunate for for him. It's great. Love Aldous Hodge. He's so great. I'm sure that they'll find a way to be creative with it. Like we were talking about the episodes of the later seasons where like there would be one where you're basically just with the three of them and then one where you're with the other half of the team. There are ways to include him in episodes that he's maybe not having a lot of screen time in, but right. at least you'll feel his presence. So, And then you mentioned too, which is true, often because he's the hacker, he's in his van hacking while the rest of the team is in the building so whether yeah. or not they could shoot a bunch of shoot a bunch of hacking scenes, scenes in a row like just... wow harson just is constantly at the house hacking while the rest of them are on their missions yeah why not so hopefully they figure out a way for them to still be in a lot of it because i love hardison i love them all he's just great i mean really if there's a moral of the story to this episode it's go watch leverage yeah if any of this is appealing to you it's super fun. It's comfort television. And when have you ever seen an anti-capitalist procedural? 
they're constantly just taking down rich people. It's so great. <laughs> it's very satisfying. And it's always so clever. And they like ruin them in the perfect way, specifically for whatever's going on with them. Yeah. They get restitution for the victim. Mm -hmm. They get restitution for more people. It's delightful. Yes, it really is. So yeah, hoping for more of that. I guess that's, I don't know if we need to talk about any more beats. Hopefully yeah. people are, are sold at this point on how delightful they are. So we should talk about what the creators say about the ship. This is an interesting situation. First of all, the actors, weirdly, we found basically nothing. <laughs> that, yeah, like not even just about the ship. Just, just like, like interviews with the actors are kind of non-existent. Right. <laughs> Which is weird. Not entirely sure how that happened. So I don't know. We have nothing from them talking about this ship. Hopefully when they do some press or something for the new season, we will get to hear more about it. But who we do have talking about the ship is our creator, John Rogers, who likes to take to Twitter to talk to people about his show and this ship in particular. Mm -hmm. He's not a denialist of the OT3. So I'm going to read you some tweets from John Rogers, because that's how he has mostly shared his opinion. And they, this is like early days after the show went off the air. He responded to someone talking about the show with, hey, we made the OT3 canon. That should buy us a little back. <laughs> and later he says, make one OT3 canon in your show and suddenly you're the OT3 guy. And librarians, kind of. And looking at King, King Killer, shit, I am the OT3 guy. <laughs> Which that actually makes me interested in looking at these other pieces of media that he's writing that all have OT3s in them. But as I'm saying all this, I realize what we meant to do at the top and didn't is talk about what an OT3 is. Oh, shoot. <laughs> so I don't know if people have heard if you're if you exist in fandom spaces, you probably have heard the phrase OTP. I feel like that has made it mostly into the mainstream. It stands for one true pairing and is supposed to be like the, the ship that you, you know, most ardently support. And so then OT3 is just a play on that. It is your one true threesome. Right. And you could then we on fan lore, we got into a whole thing where there are like OT4s and OT5s and OT6s and 7s. And there were OT8s on there, man. <laughs> Hopefully you haven't been confused about that for the entire first half of this episode. Yeah, well, hopefully for context, people. Yeah, I think it becomes clear. We told you there were three of them. So then, yes, more recently, people were talking to John Rogers about the reboot once it got approved. And so they're asking, like, it's a brand new sequel, not a reboot, right? It's going to be the same characters, not new actors playing the original characters. The article said reimagining slash reboot rather than picking up eight years later with updated premise. And then she writes, clings to her OT3. And he just replied with, your OT3 is safe. And my personal favorite John Rogers <laughs> quote when he's talking about the reboot says, I have to be careful writing the leverage reboot pilot or you folks will figure out what my AO3 handle's been for the last decade. <laughs> he seems like a fun guy. I yeah, like but that does open up so many interesting questions. What have you been writing, John Rogers? And I just like the idea of a showrunner and creator writing fanfiction about his own thing once it's gone off the air. That's delightful. Well, once your show gets canceled, what outlet do you have? <laughs> he seems like a fun guy. And obviously, the real question from all of this, 
once you go around saying like, yeah, the OT3 is canon, is when we get a new season, how evident is that going to be on screen? One of the things you mentioned is, so one of the sort of fun episode types that they do on Leverage is they'll have these episodes where there are heavy flashbacks where our actors play the characters in the flashbacks. So there's one where the heist is around an interracial couple back in World War II. In the flashback, our main characters will play the characters of the flashback. So we have Hardison and Parker playing the couple back in the past. Yes. And similarly, there is the D.B. Cooper episode, which is great. Yes. Love D.B. Cooper. Where in the flashback, there's a couple being played by Elliot and Parker. And so it'd be great in this new season if we had a similar flashback story where the couple is played by Elliot. By Elliot and and Hardison. Because they're the only ones who haven't done it. And how fun would that be? I'm delighted by that idea. I hope John Rogers saw that one on Twitter wherever I saw it. So yeah, super excited. Ready for more. I hope he leans in to the ship because he likes to talk about it. So I guess that brings us to AO3 and our fanfic. As we've already discussed, this is not a super well-known property, ship, anything. So it does not appear on our AO3 top 100 ships of 2020 there are about 1800 ish stories in the parker hardison elliott ship they are mm-hmm. by far the most common ship of the leverage tag but then there also are some nate and sophie and some hardison parker and some elliott parker and some hardison elliott <laughs> just like right. whatever you know all the connect the different options are there but People are mostly shipping the OT3 here. So we both read, as we always do, the most kudos fic, which is something called Your Body is a War Zone, But You Are Not a Ruin by Postcard Mystery. And interestingly, this is, I won't say the first time because we had the weirdness of Hannibal, (laughs) but this is yet another short fic as the most popular, but it is not for general audiences. <laughs> right. It's certainly not as fluffy. Right. It's not as fluffy in terms of tone and subject matter, but also there is some sex in it, which we haven't had happen before as the most popular ship. Uh, ship thick. <laughs> so what were, what were your thoughts? So, I mean, I, I thought it was fine. I think as much as we haven't found something that's like, now I'm going to be hugely into fan fiction. I think I do prefer the ones that have like a, an interesting premise, which is I think a little counter to what we've been saying, right? If, if one of the reasons people write fan fiction is this very character driven internal yeah. approach to storytelling, I think this really fits that. Cause it really is all about Elliot's internal life and how he's feeling. But yeah, I don't know if it's the, the fluffiness overall, but my, my preference has been a little bit too like, Oh man, they gotta get bananas. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. bananas. That one sticks with you. That's the first one that we read. Yeah, I was actually sort of intrigued that this was the most kudos one because it's yeah. very sort of nebulous. You're kind of in Elliot's headspace for the whole thing, and it's just a collection of musings. You know, there's not really any plot that drives you, and I, I just was a little bit surprised yeah so interestingly i read it and and felt it hadn't scratched my itch for for Mm -hmm. leverage fanfic so i 
read a few more that I I'll link these two as we always link our fic that I was delighted by. There is another one that I read that was actually thematically similar to this one in that you're following Elliot and it's not even vignettes, but collections of moments throughout time. And it's Elliot's journey to understand his relationship with Parker and Hardison. So it's Mm. this, the interest to me of him is he has such low self-esteem, right? (laughs) He thinks he's a terrible person. He obviously cares about them and wants to take care of them, but he can't comprehend them caring about him. So it's just like a collection of moments of them being nice to him and him waiting for the other shoe to drop of why this is happening. And so then by the end, he does come around to acceptance, which is nice. I I just want somebody to hug Elliot, you know, he needs a hug. Mm -hmm. And I read a fun one that was basically Elliot has a nightmare. They're all like sleeping on couches after a, a job. They're all really tired. He has a nightmare. He wakes them up. And then they share, obviously, that they also have nightmares because they do really dangerous things as their job. (laughs) And then Hardison shares that he has this, what he calls an apocalypse safe house that's just for the three of them. Like if shit really goes down, the three of them, not even Nate and Sophie, Nate and Sophie don't know about this place. It will be just the place that they go and he tells them about it and it sounds lovely. They all have this daydream during the night about living in this south african small town where he's found this house for them it's really sweet and then another one that interested me for lots of reasons but also because we were just talking about this i can't remember when but like the lack of asexual representation in fan fiction right so i found this one that is about the three of them in a relationship but at the beginning parker tells them that she doesn't like sex Mm -hmm. and so the whole plot of it is they have had sex before so they really freak out about it because first they worry they pressure her into it then they worry that she had some traumatic incident that has made this happen or whatever and she's sort of like trying to get into everyone's head no it's like nothing happened (laughs) i don't feel bad about what we've done but i also i just wanted you to know it doesn't interest me i'm not interested in it and so then it that it's it felt to me really like the person who wrote it these were their experiences like the conversations in it felt like they had had those conversations before which I appreciated and of course by the end everybody comes around and they figure sure. it out but it's just fun to see some representation I actually think it probably at this point it was a little while ago when we were really talking about it because I think it was maybe in the good omens episode oh god was it that time. long ago that feels yeah. recent talking about asexuality and fan fiction but yeah, we couldn't get a handle on how frequently it appears. And so was that relatively high in the kudos? It was. All of That's the ones really cool. I'm telling you about, I went, instead of looking at the kudos, I like to go over and look at the bookmarks. Because okay. like the kudos fic is, you know, people read it and they are like, oh, thumbs up, I liked it. But then the bookmarked fic is like, I'm saving this for later <laughs> in case I want to reread it. So everyone that I'm talking about, I think was on the first page of the book, okay. most bookmarked fic. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, what we're going to, I think, maybe get into now is really how unusual this, I was going to say pairing, it's not really a, a pairing, but you get what I mean. Does a pairing have to be two people? I think a pair is technically two, but... Trio. <laughs> this, yes. Obviously, we said it's not very popular, but I think, theoretically, a portion of that is just that Leverage is not a very right. popular show. Yeah, I mean, you can't argue with that, but also... Any pairing of three people is not common. Yes. You don't see a ton of that in mainstream shipping. 
But then compared to our top 100, uh, which we've referenced numerous times, and I think all of the ships we've covered have appeared on the top 100. Well, Lord of the Rings, not. Oh, yeah, not Lord of the Rings. I didn't think it was all of them, but most of them. I mean, we've talked mostly about very mainstream popular for like properties and also pretty mainstream ships. Right. But yeah, so this this trio has some different elements which don't appear as frequently on our top 100 list. And let's talk about that a little bit more. <laughs> well, if we're saying these things don't appear a lot, I guess that begs the question, what does appear a lot on our list? And you will find with some, some careful analysis as we have done for you, what appears a lot is white guys. <laughs> the list is chock full of white dudes tons and tons of white guy white guy pairings we did some you know statistical analysis on the list and some light summaries 40 of the 100 most popular ships are two white guys yes which yeah i think on its face will seem like an (laughs) overrepresentation. but 68 of the ships on the list are male male pairings which also I mean, that's its own discussion, but 40 of the 68, so almost 60% of the male-male ships are all white. And what is making up the rest of those male-male ships, Maddie? Well, (laughs) uh, a couple of things, but most notably, BTS. BTS by itself, the the K-pop band, BTS, has eight of the top 100 ships, so it is... 12% 12% of all the male male ships mm-hmm. it is like kind of really there are a lot of angles at which to get into this so the list is super white as we've said it's white top to bottom lots of white people on the list we have just 20 ships on the list that have no white people in them that are person of color slash person of color and of those, again, eight are BTS. Yeah. <laughs> there, is, there is a ninth that is from another K pop group, EXO. Yeah. And then almost all of the rest of those are from different animes. So that's where we're getting almost all of our non-white representation. There is one of those 20 that is a ship from like a American scripted property. And that is Finpo who are 89th on the list. That's right, people. You heard it. There is one (laughs) person of color, person of color ship on this list from not K-pop and not anime. Right. So on the one hand, thank God BTS exists because imagine how white this list would be if it were not. BTS and anime are all of the non-white representation. So that what this also tells us is in this list of person of color, person of color ships, there's one black guy. Yeah, that is what that... <laughs> and one Hispanic guy, right? And one Hispanic guy. I'm here for Asian representation, too. I mean, uh, obviously, neither of us is here to say we need less Asian representation on this list. But I am maybe saying, guys, diversify the K-pop groups you're writing about to my fellow carrots out there. There are other bands than BTS. <laughs> but what I'm saying is if, if we need less of anything, it's white guys. We have so many freaking white guys on this list. So yeah, we did. We pulled some other numbers, right? So overall, 64 of the, I think this is of like the slash fix are white, white slash fix. So that includes 
male, female, 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 male, male. Of the 36 non-white slash fix, again, eight of those are BTS. So that's like 20% of all of the POC, POC slash fix. And we did find that there are six scripted American things with one non-white person. Well, I mean, not if you're including Finpo. That's that's two non-white people. At least one person of color. And they are, yes, Finpo. I can't imagine the heavy lifting that this ship is doing for representation. We had no idea. Our other ones were, there's a Teen Wolf ship that I think is straight. I think it's Scott and Allison. Once Upon a Time is a femme slash ship. The Hundred is a femme slash ship. Glee, Curtin Blaine, and then we have Shatterhunters, which is the canon Alec and Magnus right. ships. But that's it, folks. There is not a lot, even we, you know, with a white person in the ship, where we have people of color represented. Yeah, even less representation. We're going down the list here. <laughs> Things there should be more of. Uh, we've counted up, and boy. Did it take some time to count them up? All yeah. of the many fem slash pairings on this list of the 100 most popular ships. Care to tell me how many there are on the list? There are three. <laughs> I'm sorry, did you say 30? No, uh, three. You said three. Th- T-H-R-E-E, three. Three, 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 three fem slash ships in this list. We don't want to get into this too much because, spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about fem slash later on down the line but it is just wild to think about how underrepresented femme slash ships are and honestly just women are (laughs) on this list because there also are only 19 like male female ships on the list yeah which like one of the arguments right around why there are so few women or potentially people of color right within fan fiction is that media itself doesn't give us complex people of color characters, complex women characters, which mm-hmm. on the one hand is a little bit of a cop out because one of the things that fan fiction can do is add complexity right. to an otherwise flat character. But I, I do get the argument that there needs to be something there for you to latch on to. Sure. But I think there are more than six female characters in things that people <laughs> could, could get Whoa, into. Do you? I think so. Yeah. I mean, with three femme ships and 19 male female ones, we have 25 women of the 200 characters that are on this list. Well, not all characters because some of them are real people, but 200. Yeah people I, you're telling me that interesting female characters are that underrepresented on television I, I was gonna say to be fair some of the men are repeats we've got kylo and kylo yeah sure i mean there are plenty of repeats on this list but yeah there are lots of complicated things going into this and we will dig into them more later but it's something to think about why women are so underrepresented because as we've talked about there are not enough interesting people of color on screen and that is contributing to there being less of them to ship but there are well and as you also said it's kind of hard to tell what the quote-unquote right amount of representation for any type of person is if we were to have 
fan fiction that like, exactly resembled American society or something. But it's not hard to tell what that representation would be for women and men because we know that there are more about women half, than men. Or at a minimum, most people are aware that about half the about population. About half. <laughs> right. And also we know that overrepresented among fan fiction writers are women. <laughs> So it's not like they're unaware of the uh, like fact that we need representations of women in media. Yes. So a lot to dig into there. But we'll Three. get back to it. We'll get back to it. <laughs> I think the other thing, right, that we've gone back to several times is this Finpo question. Oh my God. This raised even more Finpo questions for me than we talked about originally. Oh, we should also say, right, there's no poly relationships on this list either so again our ot3 that we're actually talking about this episode not a common thing to to ship yeah but yeah so the fin post situation is interesting because you can't say what we said for leverage for these star wars movies it is not a thing that only a few people have seen and could be writing fan fiction about everyone has seen everyone and their mother has watched those movies and Not only are they 89th on the list, just overall, they are well below, and we mentioned this in the Finpo episode, Kylo and Hux. I don't accept it. I cannot accept this ship. They are 33rd on the list of the 100 most common ships. For God's sake, why? What are people doing? Where did this come from? I don't want to tell, as I said to you earlier, someone... Who ships this? And he has some calling out someone who actually ships this. Come to me and tell me what Hux's characterization even is. Like, what about these characters is calling out to you that they need to be shipped together? Because I could tell you I one, maybe two things about this guy. <laughs> is one of them that he's a fascist and the other that he's a spy? Yeah, those are the two. <laughs> What about this other than, and this is a big other than, the fact that they are Donald Gleason and Adam Driver is making people ship these characters. Yeah. So it's it's really it's really hard to walk away from this and not just be like the driver of, of a lot of this activity is two hot white guys. I mean, yeah, two hot white guys do seem to be the thing that greases the wheels of fandom right (laughs) the hot white guys because what other explanation is there for the fact that we have one person of color person of color ship from all of these various like very popular pieces of big american media on this list and why is it 50 something spots below (laughs) goddamn hux and kylo (laughs) and i think right this is in contrast to how we approach this podcast and our decision to like discuss this topic of, you know, we, we said in our, our intro that we have had the experience of you're watching something and you're like, these two characters are clearly emotionally invested in, in one another and they seem to have a lot of sexual tension and then this show or movie will not let them kiss. So from my perspective, right, the urge to ship comes from a place of what is in the text that I'm watching, you know, we talk about evidence and things that we're picking up on and, and what's happening within the the media. And, you know, it's fine that that's not always the case and do whatever you like and it's fan fiction. So it's whatever yeah. your taste is. 
but that doesn't seem to be the driver of the Kylo and Huck's situation because they do share some scenes. I wouldn't say there's any real emotional exchange or tension between them. Nope. (laughs) I would say what there is, is the presence of two white guys on screen together. And apparently that is irresistible (laughs) to some corners of the fandom. Because I don't understand if you're a person predisposed to writing fan fiction, say you're somebody who's always looking for new ships to produce content, right? You got to produce some content and you're looking around who are some ships who are some guys? Because it's always got to be guys, because apparently the only thing people are interested in is guys. Yeah. <laughs> but who are some guys that I could write some stuff about? And you watch these Star Wars movies, and you don't come out of them with the idea to write fanfic? How, though? Why did that happen? <laughs> and it's not like Oscar Isaac and John Boyega aren't also very attractive men. I mean... Uh, duh! <laughs> I would argue both more attractive than either of those other guys. <laughs> yeah. I think particularly for a little while, everyone was obsessed with Oscar Isaac. Yes. Specifically. So yeah. like, it's not the situation that we talked about with X-Men, right? Where initially you had two older actors who you might yeah. not be as, as into. These are young, very good looking <laughs> men. Guys with a lot of chemistry who are trying to get you to think that they're in a relationship right they're acting with the intention that you will see their chemistry you know who probably was not doing that donald gleason and adam driver <laughs> i mean i don't really know what donald gleason was doing throughout that trilogy like he is a good actor a in many many things but he is so weird and hammy so this was a very interesting breakdown that we walked through we hadn't really done it before but you know the, the a OG3. lot to think about prompted us because again right with our ot3 we have a a woman which is unusual don't want that in your ship (laughs) we have we have a black guy don't want that in your ship and then we have the one white guy but he's not you know there's not another white guy necessarily Uh... and uh, you know once again just shout out uh to to bts and bts shippers for really diversifying the list because without them we'd have nothing you look at the breakdown of white folks to non-white folks on the list and you almost would think it's not as bad as I expected right like the the amount of person of color ships is not like three percent or something there's a fair amount of them but then when you get into the breakdown it's all b it's all bts (laughs) it's all anime and then you look at the list and you're like well there are like no black and hispanic people on this list so where did they all go why don't they exist in these spaces? I don't know. And similarly to the femslash thing, I fully understand and agree that there is not enough actual representation on television and in movies. Yeah. But there is more than what is showing up here. <laughs> and if we were looking for it, we would find it, right? Just a lot to think about this week. I think we'll come back to the, the, these discussions and, and this question of yes. white guys in later episodes as well, but... Yeah, once we started to really get into the numbers, it was shocking. Shocking. (laughs) All right. Well, I guess, I don't know if we need to circle around to our usual questions. 
I mean, we should. We got to ask the yeah, question. Might as well. We can't We can't not ask the question. So our usual question, is it queer baiting, queer coding, or queer canon? It's queer canon. He said it was canon. It's pretty much in the show. Hopefully they make it more clearly canon. As I, yeah, as I learned from fan lore, I hadn't heard this phrase before when I went to look at this ship. They always on the fan lore page say if the ship is canon or not. And according to fan lore, this one is word of God canon (laughs) meaning that it didn't you didn't like see a make out on the show or anything but the showrunner says that it's canon so guess it's canon yep and so i guess right if we get to season six and there's no clear evidence of it it could be a little bit queer baiting inch back into queer baiting territory but i'm willing to give john rogers the benefit of the doubt at this point i don't know him to be a terrible asshole yet not yet (laughs) there's still room so I guess what we don't have to ask the question is, why isn't it canon? Because it is. And we don't have to rank the queer baiting on a scale of one to five, because it ain't. No. And we don't really have to ask the gender swap question either, because you already have a, you a lady gender in the swap? group. Yeah. But like, if you had to gender swap one of the characters in the OT3, who would you want to have Elliot. gender swapped? Yeah. Just because I like an ass-kicking lady, Elliot as a lady would be really cool. I mean, honestly, I'd gender swap Elliot and Hardison and make it a fen slash trio. Can you imagine how cool that as well? these heist folks would be if they were all ladies? I mean, that's pretty great. <laughs> I'm into it. But I also don't mind gender swapping all of them yeah. and having a male thief. Which actually is kind of fun because there is like a stereotypical femininity to her role because she's kind of the, She's like, very much a cat burglar. Yeah, a who's cat burglar, like where's her i mean she's not playing it for sexuality really but there is an element of she's the one who would be wearing the cat suit and sneaking into the tight spaces and stuff and so yeah seeing that as as a guy could be fun so you touched on this a little bit earlier but why i have to ask did this make you want to read more fan fiction not really but you know see if any of the ones that i talked about interest you and maybe yeah, get those i'll a take a look but that brings us to what are we talking about next week? And actually, I think it's kind of <laughs> thematically appropriate to what we just spent the last half of this episode talking about. We're talking about two white guys. We sure are. Who, I don't know if we want to give it away, but maybe you're shipped because they're two white guys. Two white guys. The power of two white guys is what we're talking about next week. Specifically. We're- yes. Double OQ from the most recent James Bond where Ben Wishaw shows up. Yes. Ben Wishaw and Daniel Craig, double OQ. So, should be an interesting one. Again, come to us with comments, questions, concerns. Come to Maddie with why you ship Kylo and Hux and what's going on I, there. Honestly, I challenge you. I defy you to give me your reasons. This is the relationship I want with you is adversarial. <laughs> but if you have anything to say to us, we can be reached at ltbkpod at gmail.com or on Twitter and Tumblr, also at ltbkpod. New episodes of the pod come out every other Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, wherever you get your podcasts.